VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Every single person who's come into the studio today, Jane, or every single junction or feature has had a special Christmas tingle jingle to accompany it. Have you noticed that? Yes. It's designed to get you in the mood, isn't it? It is. Ben? It's almost working. Why, are, why aren't there any pieces of tinsel around our microphones? Have you got a special tingle jingle for Off Air with Jane and Fee? No, you haven't? Uh, not yet. You just no, went, you just not went, yet. You just went red. <laughs> no intention of getting red. I'm on the spot there. Anyway, you're not here next week. I know. What's going to happen to the podcast? I don't know. I'll, I'll, I just somehow... I, hit, I mean, I, the last thing I want is attention or a microphone with no interruptions. So I've just no idea, Fee. <laughs> <laughs> so I tell you what, if I flick through the Off Air with Jane and Fee podcast rack and I see that the podcasts are coming in at one hour, 25 minutes, <laughs> it's just I me. think, oh, I'm going to stay on holiday for longer. Me talking about what colour will I paint my hall? <laughs> I'm still agonising over it, by the way. <laughs> oh, have I not told that anecdote from Hereford and Worcester, 1979? <laughs> oh, you lucky listeners. Anyway, I hope you have a very nice time next week. You've got Lots of fantastic uh, stand-in presenters, presenters' friends, haven't you? Yes, I have. All, uh, starting on Monday with Jane Mulcairins, who is very... Uh, we, we really like talking to her every Thursday on our Times radio show about... She's the assistant editor, I need to get this right, of the Times Saturday magazine. That's right, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think she's a radio natural. She's got a lovely she voice yes, and I she says good things. She won't encourage her too much, but it'd be, <laughs> it'd be lovely to have her there um, for a part of Monday's programme. And who else have you got next week? And then I've got Katie Prescott, who is the tech correspondent who's excellent and we've also got Lucy Fisher who is Times Radio's leading political commentator and then on Thursday I'm rounding off my pre-Christmas week with Tom Whipple who is the Times Science Editor so I think that's going to be very interesting perhaps he can help me with my issues about the cloud he might, <laughs> he might be able to explain I've got a few things at home I could perhaps invite him to sort oh, out oh poor Tom <laughs> got lots of questions I mean it was, did you the last thing I heard last night was um, I was listening to the radio and a, a mutual friend of ours was, was doing an item about the fact that they finally found the snake's clitoris oh yes and it's just and he's a lovely man the guy who was doing the interview <laughs> we both know him but I just thought this is—it's a funny old world, isn't it? I'm, I'm lying in bed. It was very cold last night. Had my Union Jack hot water bottle on my toes, and I was listening to really quite—I'm going to say—quite an earnest interview about the fact that uh, finally they've been able to track down uh, the clitoris of a snake. 
it's, <laughs> okay. it's been evasive have they, for a long well, time, elusive I mean, for a have, long time. Yeah, have people been looking for it for a long time or has, has suddenly someone's just thought, I wonder if they do have them? I think actually I did drift off to sleep sort of halfway through it, but I'm not entirely sure I can answer that. But I think what we can say with some certainty is that the female of the species has always been just less studied and less investigated. It's so odd, isn't it, when you think about it? But is that true? Well, I think do, it is. Do, do we genuinely know more about a lion's penis than we do about a lioness's vagina? I think the answer to that would be yes. Are you sure? Well, I can't be 100% certain, but the contributor, and this is where I did lose myself to unconsciousness, was talking about how there had been research into ducks. And although something is now known about the duck penis, almost nothing was known about the duck vagina. So she was making exactly your point, that we suddenly make all kinds of pronouncements about peni and don't don't <laughs> don't ever. So anyway, I'm not, I, no, I'm not doubting that at all. And obviously that is exactly, I should think you're no, not. exactly what has happened in human medicine and physiology uh, over the last couple of centuries. And at last it's being rectified. But I just put it to you. Uh, as a woman of you know nearly 60 years on the planet what? and I'm nearly 55 years on the planet that I've never felt that the females of the species uh, have been let down by a lack of knowledge about their clitoris before. It's not been an area that I've thought, gosh, I'm going to add that to my list of things to worry and complain about. I think we'll just throw that one open to the audience. I'm just not sure that it's an area I care that much about. How much are, are we going to Are you saying you don't care about whether snakes get pleasure out of sexual That's congress? That's exactly exactly well, what sorry. I'm saying. Snakes can't speak for themselves, but I want to support the female <laughs> snake and say that they have, I've got their back. Do you know, I narrated a documentary once, oh. and, and it's always dangerous, isn't it, when this is kind of lifted information uh, about the sex lives of the bonobos. Oh, yes, I remember yeah. you doing that. And there was quite a lot. Was well, actually, jealous. it was a serious documentary because it was about whether or not uh, there was a true homosexuality in the animal kingdom. Mm -hmm. and I think some whippets, there are a lot of lesbian whippets. So you can tell that I've only learned... Have to... you just thrown that in, or is that actually a, <laughs> that's a supposed... That's, a that's fact. what I learned from the documentary. What, so and whippets the are more likely to be lesbians than, say, King Charles Spaniels? Yes, that's exactly it. And the bonobos have, have had lesbian communities for years. And, uh, you know, there is something to be learnt from that. The point being uh, that actually in places in the world where homosexuality is still viewed as being wrong, mm. you can point to the animal kingdom and say... No, it's not. It's mm -hmm. an absolute thing. So I can see how that enhances mm, yeah. our understanding. A snake having a clitoris, i just putting it out there, Jane, I'm not sure. It's Christmas party night here at uh, Times Towers, and actually I've never felt more like having a drink um, than I do right now. But it's, You brought it up. I know, I did. <laughs> No, Sometimes in these conversations, I feel like I did at my French oral exam when I've actually only got 25 words that I know in French oh, and I've got to rearrange say, them to make 15 words <laughs> conversation. You're so right there. French, they, were, they were balmy. I mean, I, I'm so old, I did O-levels. And in both French and German in the exams, you had, bizarrely, you had to learn by sort of rote the answers to 100 questions and you would be asked six of them or something and you just regurgitate these answers yeah and it's no leaves... way to learn a language no, was it and, and did did it leave you as you know like a kind of falling souffle literally as soon as you left the room it's just like yeah, yeah. Ooh, that's gone well i remember one of the questions in german I, there is one i remember because one of the questions in my german was why is berlin not the capital of west germany in fact the capital of west germany was bonn wasn't it anyway so the answer was weil deutschland in 
no, weil Deutschland in zwei Teile geteilt ist. Something like that. So I can yeah. remember, still remember some okay. of that answer. All I can remember is Oué la douane, the which has just yeah. never, ever, ever come in handy because there is always a great big sign if you're ever in an airport saying where the customs oh, is. customs, yeah. yeah. You never have to ask anybody yeah. where the douane is. Anyway, coming soon to an oral near you. Does a snake have a clitoris? <laughs> yes. Uh, just just one, one tiny, tiny question and then we really will stop with the can snake Can I just clitoris. say... Oh, go yeah. on, yeah. No, uh, is, I'd just like somebody out there to tell me whether or not the snake having a clitoris means that the lady snake is having a greater time. Well, that's what I was getting at all these years. I mean, did the, did the male snake... I mean, this is the problem. Did the male snake know that she had a clitoris? It doesn't actually matter whether we know, as you, as you acknowledged earlier. Yes, and can he find it? Right. <laughs> OK. Um, also, I just want to say, uh, my blood pressure shot through the roof when I saw this today. Boris Johnson has been paid more than £1 million. Oh, no, don't. It's before Christmas. <laughs> Boris Johnson has been paid more than £1 million for speaking engagements since he left... Dad and Jason Right, okay. <laughs> Do you know, I've thought of a much better gag. Uela clitoris. Nothing <laughs> to do with Mr. Johnson. Right. So, <laughs> right, yes, great. How many times can we say right and then crack on with the programme? Let's do some emails after uh, we've done a series of fabulous interviews that we uh, played out earlier today on our programme. Would you like to introduce royal commentator par excellence Jenny, Jenny Bond. Bond so obviously uh, we wanted and we were it's really interesting this because a lot of people are not interested and then some people want to tell you just how much they're not interested at great length in Harry and Meghan that's kind of what John Peanut stands for wasn't it when we talked to him and he's every right to have that view of course um, but we did want to talk about it I watched episode four of the second volume of Harry and Meghan's show and the truth is, I am as confused as ever about whose side I'm on, who, who's done what to whom. Um, have we actually got all the so-called dirt yet? Does any additional dirt actually exist? Who's bullied who and why? And what will Harry say in his book? It's, it's as jumbly a mess as it ever was. But Jenny Bond was the BBC's court correspondent for many, many years. She appeared as a guest on our programme this afternoon. And there are some pretty you know, difficult moments in episodes five and six of this second volume in which Harry at one point basically accuses the newspapers of bringing on Meghan's miscarriage, which is a really, I mean, it's a very upsetting thing to have a miscarriage. I'm extremely sorry that she did have one. Um, and it's quite an allegation to make, isn't it? Um, so there's some pretty upsetting stuff. He also talks about how frightened he was when Prince William shouted at him at that Sandringham summit. Um, which was all about how the terms on which they would leave the royal family. Mm. So, and there's a lot, I believe, in those three episodes about the sense of collusion that some parts of the royal household might have with some parts of the media, yeah. which has seemed to Harry and Meghan to sometimes really exclude them. Yes, I mean, but then you have to ask yourselves, what's the point of a royal family that doesn't have a public profile? It actually desperately needs to have one or else... And then, of course, Harry and Meghan have made a six-part documentary series and he's writing a book which doesn't exactly suggest that they're not averse to a bit of publicity themselves. So it's just such a... It's a soup, that's it's what a, it is. It's a royal soup and no mistake. Anyway, Jenny Bond was our guest and Fia asked her, actually, um, what she thinks the legacy of the Harry and Meghan documentary will be. What will be remembered from these programmes in, say, five years' time? <laughs> 
I think we'll remember the central allegation made by Harry that uh, he and his wife were bullied out of the royal family by William. I think that was a very important accusation, not necessarily stood up with evidence, and that's what's short in all six hours of quite generalised accusations and allegations. There's not a lot of concrete evidence, and I'm sorry about that because... Uh, I think we needed that. Mm. Why might William have wanted to do that, if indeed he did? Well, William is known to have, you know, quite a short temper, as as Charles has, um, and he, I, I do not think that he would bully his younger brother. But he did clearly lose his temper. We, we, you know, we have a Harry saying it was terrifying to be shouted and screamed at by my brother. I have no reason to doubt that that, that happened, um, but. He would have no motive in bullying his brother out of the royal family. The royal family, you know, had recognised early on that Meghan would have been a great attribute to the royal just what a modern monarchy needed. But by that stage, the Sandringham summit, it just was shot to pieces. Do you think that they have some very valid complaints to make about the British media? And that feeling, certainly for Meghan that she just couldn't live the life, any kind of life that she wanted to live because it was so claustrophobic and she was so surrounded by them, I should say us, really. I do have sympathy. Um, I think she should have been prepared for the goldfish bowl. I also think that it's rather disingenuous of them to to repeatedly use shots of paparazzi or photographers um, in who were, which were taken in America. You know, when she arrived for her baby shower, um, some of the pictures we know are actually false. Nothing to do with uh, Harry and Meghan. But I do have sympathy. Um, what I question is why she was so so unprepared. Uh, apparently they feel that they should have been given more guidance, Um, although the palace say that she was handed a dossier, that the Queen's former assistant private secretary was persuaded not to retire and to to look after them, one of the Queen's really right-hand women. Um, But in all of that, why did they need a flunky? Why did they need a courtier to tell Meghan how to act and what life would be like? For goodness sake, she was marrying a member of the royal family. Didn't he know? Couldn't he warn her? But isn't her case slightly different, Jenny? That she just had more coming at her than any Mm. young woman uh, had ever had before. I don't think she did. I think Diana had a great deal more coming at her. You know, there were... Yeah, but she didn't live in a world of social media, though. And and she wasn't mixed race. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, online trolling, social media, absolutely. I mean, that's a ghastly world. We all know that. We all get trolled and it's it's it's, it's despicable. I completely get that. But as regards the uh, intrusion of photographers, I think Diana had it a lot worse. But yes, I have sympathy for her. It was, it was a tough gig. It always is. Being a member of the royal family isn't easy, but she should have been more prepared. Right. Um, well, have, I've only watched episode four um, of the, the latest volume, Jenny, but I, I was really struck by the stuff over which Harry and Meghan couldn't have any control. The fact that the newspapers were preferring to put Meghan on the front page and not Kate and or William. I mean, that's indisputable and it appears to have caused problems, i.e. jealousy. I mean, that and that isn't their fault, is it? It's simply that Megan's a beautiful woman, it made for an incredible image, and the papers loved her. But do you think anybody could have stopped the damage that that clearly did to family relations? 
Well, that's gone on through the generations. You know, Diana was the new star. She got all the headlines. Uh, Fergie was the new star. She got them. This is what we, the media, do with our royal family. Yeah, and it's sometimes uh, very cruel and sometimes, frankly, vicious, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're sometimes, you know, we're not a very nice profession. I completely concede that. But I also would say that an awful lot of the headlines they used to stand up their suggestions were from uh, American tabloids, the National Enquirer, the Daily Beast, New Idea from Australia. I was taking a note of all the headlines from elsewhere. Um, I'm not disputing that we didn't have headlines over here. Certainly, they really got it in for the Daily Mail. And the Mail seems to have been the catalyst. Very, very sadly, Harry alleges, um, not only for the exit from the royal family, but very sadly, Harry alleges that the Daily Mail... What they did to Meghan, his words, were created the situation and the stress where she had a miscarriage. Yeah, right. which is just so sad, <laughs> so yeah. sad. But when Meghan has made claims before that I think in any other situation would elicit a lot of genuine sympathy uh, from any viewer or listener, uh, there seems to be so much other noise going on around them that that bit gets missed. So when she says that she's been the victim of racism, that doesn't get heard. When she said she was really struggling after the birth of her babies, you know, appearing in public, that doesn't get heard. When she says she has a miscarriage, that doesn't get heard. So do you think it's just a bit unfair or do you think after the settling of a bit of time we might feel more kind of warm towards her when we're out of this storm? Uh, but not heard by whom? I don't hear very many people showing any sympathy for Meghan. I hear an awful lot of people saying yada, 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 yada. But I think, to be fair, a lot of young people do have sympathy perhaps, for Meghan. Yeah. Perhaps. Or perhaps they're simply not the voice that we will ever hear. It's the voice of outrage that you want to get on air at the moment, that you want, you know, that people want to post up on social media. It's just quite imbalanced, don't you feel? Well, I think we did hear a lot about their complaints about racism. I mean, Harry issued a statement about it really, really early on, before they were engaged even. Um, he, he put that in the public arena and there was a lot of press about it. As regards her miscarriage, she chose quite understandably to keep that private for a certain amount of time and then wrote a very, very moving article about it. So we heard all about her, her miscarriage. And I, I agree actually with uh, Jane that I think younger people, I think this documentary is swinging opinion in um, Meghan's favour with, with younger people. Um, and that's fine. I mean, I've got sympathy with her. I think she was going to be brilliant in the royal family. I'm really, really sorry it didn't work out. I'm really pleased that they are so blissfully happy. There's montage after montage of them skipping across the sand <laughs> and being happy. And that's lovely. As they have found each other, haven't they, Jenny? They well, have definitely I, found each other. And I honestly mean it when I say I hope they continue to be that happy forever. <laughs> um, there was the suggestion in the trailer. I mean, trailers are... They're there to entice us. And the, the trailer for this volume two certainly did suggest that we might be um, about to hear something that would rock our royal worlds. It still hasn't quite happened, has it, Jenny? And I suppose you wonder whether that might be in the book or, I'm being very careful here, or maybe not. <laughs> well, as I say, I, I think the most startling allegation is the one of bullying. And also, um, Harry says towards the end that... Um, well, actually, after the Duke's funeral, we always we all wondered, you know, did they seem to be walking together? Did they chat? Did they discuss it all? Well, it, he said it was hard, but they did discuss it. 
but um, he now does not expect any uh, apology um, or any accountability, accountability, genuine, that's the word, genuine apology or genuine accountability. So maybe that's actually what he wants. He wants his, his brother and his father to stand up in public and say, I'm sorry, Harry. Royal expert Jenny Bond. And I think for the moment, Jane, that's probably where we'll leave it. because we You're very will... keen to leave it, aren't you? <laughs> I just, yeah, I am actually. And also because I know that the book's coming out, Harry's book, Spare, is coming out in January. And I've just got to save, you know, a little bit of... Uh, of kind of power for that. I feel I'm on about 2% with a flashing red light at the moment, if that's okay, on the topic. Is it okay to say, though, that we probably... A lot of royal correspondents, they have lots of knowledge. And sometimes, and I'm not speaking necessarily about Jenny, but they are often a sort of person. They're a type of person from a particular part of our society. And they have a vested interest in keeping the show on the road, don't they? I think you're very much allowed to say that. And it, what it means is that you are only hearing a certain kind of tone of response. Yeah. And, and it's a really interesting point because I don't think that's impartial. I think there's a whole... And this is what we talked about in the interview. There's a whole other voice about this which isn't being heard, sometimes because people can't be bothered to get involved in the conversation but that's actually maybe because they're a bit worried about their heating bills or something like that something like that Uh, or you know just saying they seem like quite nice people but they've gone a bit awry at the moment you know you you don't post that on twitter you don't put that on tiktok that doesn't make you any money as a commentator but Mm. you could be hearing a very different take on it oh you you really could and maybe we should make an effort to get exactly that take Welcome back, and let's have a little bit of self-congratulation. It's always good. I mean, we're, and we're, we're so worth it. So, um, Oh, my God, you're worth it. Well, um, <laughs> that vision I painted of myself earlier, resting in bed in my pyjams with my Union Jack hot water bottle on my toes. It's pathetic, isn't it? But strangely arresting at the same time. Yes, we are so worth it. What's happened? 
Uh, we've got over a million downloads on this podcast and we're incredibly grateful and we've got to just move into that area where we say things like that, uh, you know, with a kind of 110% of positivity, Jane, because that's what happens in the podcast world. It's what happens in the commercial world. It is, yep. <laughs> so we've got to say thank you very much indeed for downloading. Uh, thank you very much if you've rated and reviewed. Thank you very much if you've subscribed. Tell me when to stop. Uh, thank you very much if you've recommended us to your friends. Please, please tell me I can yeah, stop. Yeah, I think I've heard enough now because okay. um, it's not really. We, we are still warming up in the old patting ourselves on the back department. Yeah, but anyway, so. thank you because Jane and I were nervous about leaving our previous home, and we've had such a lovely welcome here. We're having a really good time, and we're absolutely delighted that you've come too. Jane and Fee at times.radio if you want to email us. And thank you to those people who have. We'll have a, an interview with the brilliant American novelist Barbara Kingsolver in a moment. But now email corner. Dear Jane and Fee, says Leslie, while the app uploads the remainder of all of the catch-up listening of your podcast, please ponder this. A rescue cat is a bit like any adoption. You can't be sure you'll get it right. May I suggest the extremely West Coast weird but also wonderful Jackson Galaxy videos about cat-human interaction? Our rescue cat is unlike any other we've known and during a trying time in her life, Galaxy's videos really helped me to understand how to look after her best. When I grew up, cats were fed cats were fed awful, put out all night and left to look after themselves. I've been much, much softer than that with our cats, but even so, cat care like dentistry and communication technology has advanced hugely. I love those two comparisons. Mm. You'll feel silly watching the videos, but the man loves cats and knows his stuff. Keep up the excellent work, please. Well, I'm going to give those a go. Why not? Jackson Galaxy videos. Yeah, OK. Yeah. Right. Do you know what? I did wonder, actually, after um, Steve Wright had left Radio 2. I mean, he's still there for his Sunday love songs and yes, some big careful. specials, but he's left his after he's left the big show. Oh, yeah. I wondered whether maybe he was going to turn his homemade DIY dentistry uh, into <laughs> something a bit more professional, because he's well known in the building for doing his own dentistry, wasn't what he? What was the smell that used to waft around his studio? TCP. That's right. Oh, yes, lovely. Um, yes. I really uh, like Steve Wright. Yeah, I, I think he was great. I still think he's great. Naomi, um, oh, she's with me on the old hot water bottles. Um, I wonder if either of you have had the delight of a long hot water bottle over the cold snap. What do you mean by long? I don't know. Or a cosy John Lewis, trying to make it more classy than it ever can be, refusing to be taken to my Essex roots. Wonsie, says Naomi. Both have made turning 45 a delight. Gosh, um, I mean, is there such a thing as a... Uh, kind of like a one metre long hot water bottle. Oh, well, it does make perfect sense, actually, doesn't it, to have uh, a long hot water bottle because the smaller one, and I do love my hot water bottle, it does seem peculiar that you would have just that relatively small space when you could actually lie the whole thing. Anyway, uh, it's good for the old bones in the night. It's lovely, yeah. yeah. But I find just with the one, I've got one of those wheat things, which you don't like, but they're great. Oh, yeah, they Pop them in the microwave. But you'd have to move them around, don't you? They start off on my feet. But by the time I wake up in the morning, I'm always clutching it. Liz from London. Because um, this is very serious, because this is about uh, Joanna Lumley. I'm just going to watch Pointless now. <laughs> it's on at the studio next door. Joanna Lumley um, made those comments, which we referred to on the podcast yesterday. And this is, it does happen relatively frequently that a more senior woman will say, I don't know what young women are fussing about. In my day, we loved wolf whistles. It was all just part of the game. Blah, blah, blah. Toughen up. That well, it's thing. your gorgeous phrase. I think one of your best... Uh, that there was no golden age of groping. 
<laughs> and I, I stick to that. Yeah, it's a good line. There's never been a golden age of grouping. Um, my mum's a similar age to Joanna, uh, says Liz, and told me recently that her generation of women never talked about the menopause because they didn't want to give men any more reason to put them down. Perhaps when a, women of that generation didn't feel able to show any vulnerability because it would be seen as a weakness that men could then ridicule them for. Fortunately, my lovely mum is delighted by the progress younger women are making in becoming more equal. Not all boomers, hashtag not all boomers, as you would say. On a different note, a couple of weeks ago, Fee mentioned how important it was that Spike Milligan was open about his mental health, and that's so very true. I had a breakdown in the 90s and I was diagnosed with bipolar. I was 18 and I was desperately looking for other people who'd had this diagnosis to give me hope of a normal life. I could only find two, Spike and an American psychologist called Kay Redfield Jameson. You can't be who you can't see. And thank goodness people are so much more open these days about their mental health. Um, thank you for that thoughtful email, Liz, and a very happy Christmas to you and to your mum as well. I hope you're uh, both having a lovely time. But she's right, isn't she? Um... There, were, there really were some quite dark ages about mental health and certainly about talking about mental health. Totally. And do you know what, Jane, some of the stories that now we seem more able to tell about what went on for people who were suffering from severe mental illness, particularly in Bedlam, as it used to be called. Yeah. I mean, in our grandparents' lifetime, mm. Bedlam was still a thing. Uh, you know, for for all of the times that you feel slightly kind of weighed down with uh, the amount of discussion about mental health at the moment, it's always worth remembering just how far we've come in a good way, isn't it? Yeah. In, it, in it a really relatively is. short space of time, actually, mm. in human history. Where we go next, who knows? Mm. Barbara King-Solver will probably be able to tell us. She is an extraordinarily bright mind and her writing has powered her to the top of the bestseller lists for quite a few of her books. The Lacuna won the Women's Prize for Fiction uh, and the Poisonwood Bible is also another one of her very well-known books. And she was talking to us today about Demon Copperhead, which is her latest novel, and it's all about the opioid addiction which has taken hold in rural parts of America in particular, and in her rural community, which is in the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, we started by asking her about the comparison to be made with Demon Copperhead and David Copperfield, because the book pays homage to the Charles Dickens novel. I'm a Dickens fan, but not uh, not overly much. I mean, <laughs> I'll be honest. Uh, David Copperfield was not my favorite Dickens novel. I don't think it's uh, many people's favorite. It was his favorite, though, um, because it was his story. He wrote from, you know, a place of anger about his childhood, about the devastations of institutional poverty. And that's what really spoke to me. More generally, I, I discovered Dickens probably when I was, oh, 12 or 13 and read A Christmas Carol. And I thought it was great. I thought it was funny and full of remarkable, memorable characters and had a great plot. And that's what I would say about every Dickens novel I've read since. So, you know, he's up there. He's one of my teachers, along with Steinbeck and Virginia Woolf and, you know, all these other books behind me that you could see if the video were on. Um, so I didn't begin this novel from a position of let me write a tribute to Charles Dickens. I began 
with the really, really difficult question of how can I write about what's happening to my community because of the opioid epidemic, but going way, way back farther than that because of institutional poverty here, because of what's been done to this region for more than a century. And now with this latest assault, we have a generation of orphans coming up. And so I was pondering, how do I tell a story about orphans? And then, you know, Dickens kind of came along and smacked me over the head and said, look, here's how you write about orphans. You let the kid tell his own story and you give him a cracking good plot and really good memorable characters. And there you go. Well, Barbara, you mentioned your your region and your community. Um, for those of us not in the United States, we, we are perhaps familiar with the big cities, the tourist destinations, if you like. But tell us about Appalachia and where you grew up and the impact that had on you. Um, you, you are you're not alone. Even even most people who live in the U.S don't know very much about this region. Appalachia is, it doesn't belong to any one state of the union. It's about parts of about six states. It's mountainous. It is uh, historically a region that has been treated uh, really as an internal colony of the U.S. Its resources have been taken out, first timber, then coal, tobacco. Um, it's a it's a region of small family farms because uh, of the topography. We don't have any flat land here. It's all very steep. So this is a, a region that has been made poor by its exploiters. And we don't show up in mainstream culture in the U.S. except as hillbilly comedy or poverty documentaries. So one of the things that I can do as an Appalachian is represent my region with some more nuance than you're likely to see anywhere else. Your father, I think, was he was the doc, the local doctor, wasn't he? Um, he was. He was the town, yeah, the town doctor. Right. So you were not you were not poor. I didn't have demons life. I wasn't born in a you know on the floor of a single wide, but. Um, I shared a lot of demons um, feelings of being uh, sort of looked down on in school because I never really had the right clothes or the right things. I mean, plenty of kids didn't. We had a caste system in our school. There were the it was a very small town and there were the town kids and there were the country kids. Those of us who lived in the country and rode the bus and showed up at school with, you know, muddy shoes we're never um, in the inner circle. So I know the story of the kids who, you know, who are, who always feel like outsiders. It's not a stretch for me to imagine um, the life of Demon Copperhead. I love uh, some, well, I love your, your writing, but some of the turns of phrases that you have, Barbara, are so magnificent. And one that just really made me smile is just a tiny one when you describe a cat oozing out of a room, which I really <laughs> enjoyed. And I wonder just, uh, you know, with, with how you write, whether those things come to you just as you're, you know, putting a whole paragraph down or, you know, does that come to you in a moment and you've got a fantastic kind of notebook of little bits and pieces that you're going to place into a book somewhere, sometime? I'll say, first of all, that that. I'm I'm blessed to have grown up in a region where people use really beautiful, colorful language. We are a culture of storytellers for all of the hard knocks that this this region has suffered and and the poverty and the sort of all the all the challenges 
it's a really fun, joy loving culture. And I, and the way people talk is so interesting and, and entertaining and, and um, everybody tells stories. So that's my culture, but I'll also tell you that none of it is easy. The, the work is the work. Every sentence of this book has been rewritten anywhere from, you know, five to 75 times. I, you know, I do a draft and then I do another draft and another and another. I I rewrite it until every sentence feels perfect to me or as perfect as I can make it. So it's sort of like, but it's supposed to sound easy. You know, you should, I don't want you to be reading it and thinking about me, you know, grinding away the, the revisions at my desk. It should be like a ballet. You know, what you see on the stage is the, is the you know, the dancers defying gravity. You don't see that their feet are actually bleeding. Um, yes. Let's right. never think about your bleeding no. feet, Barbara. Thanks for that, Barbara. <laughs> right. In my case, it's my fingers, I suppose. But, um, you know, you want to make it look easy. You want to make it an experience for the reader that just that that flows that pulls you into this world asks you to sit down and just be with these characters and love them and listen to them and 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 take this take this journey with them barbara kingsilver and her novel demon copperhead is available now it's been much acclaimed and it's a it's a proper trip actually because she is just inside the head of this young boy becomes a young man during the course of the novel and it's powerful stuff isn't it she's brilliant yep she is. I don't know what else to say. I mean, no, she just, just is. Just for once, just agree with me. Okay, yes. now listen, yes, Jane. You're on your holidays. Yes, Jane. And I would just like you... I won't mention where you're going, because you're entitled to... Uh, but mine head's lovely at this time of year. <laughs> oh, dear. I've just dropped you in it. Um, it's. It would be nice if you'd just bring me back um, a sort of... Not a pharmacy, but a kind of beauty-adjacent product. Oh, okay. That That's a I challenge. couldn't get here. Okay. Okay, that they don't sell here. So I always think the Greeks do the best body lotion. Yeah. Uh, and but you're not going there. So no. <laughs> uh, but I um, could always pop over there. You know, no. after I've got back. No. no. Uh, so I would just like something unique to the place you're visiting, please. Okay. Yeah. Uh, would you like it for face or hair or body? Um. Oh, I've given up on the face. I'm having my hair done tomorrow. So something for the body. Okay, yeah. right. I'll see what I can find. I'm going to a destination that I think has a plethora of that type of stuff. So I like that kind of a challenge. Well, I'm actually quite looking forward to the anecdotes that I think will result from your trip. So yes. I'm excited to see you. And okay. I haven't, you haven't even left yet. No. Uh, very happy Christmas. And I hope that your next week is good, but not too good, Jane. All right? Mm. Mm. Okay. I do worry. I do worry. Can't wait. I'm driving us to the airport. (laughs) Cancelling my passport. (laughs) You have been listening to Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Ben Mitchell. Now you can listen to us on the free Times radio app or you can download every episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that if you liked what you heard and thought, hey, I want to listen to this, but live. Uh, then you can, Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5 on Times Radio. Yeah. Embrace the live radio jeopardy. Thank you for listening and hope you can join us off air very soon. Goodbye.
VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.